Good morning. Today's reading is going to be from Revelation 11, verses 15 through 19. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and for those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of the covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and an earthquake and heavy hail. Good morning. Well, hopefully, maybe, this will be the last Sunday we're here in this passage. Um, been asking the question for several weeks, why does this matter? Who cares that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of his Lord and of his Christ? So what? Um, big, so what? Um, it's the theme. It's the theme of the whole Bible. It's, it's sort of the point that um, what happened in the fall is being reclaimed in a struggle, a war far beyond what our eyes see physically. That there is, there is in conflict two kingdoms. One is a pretend kingdom that uh, has no power. Uh, to which we've been subjected in futility because of our rebellion from our parents. And then the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, the King, Jesus. This is the theme of Revelation. It's the revealing of Jesus Christ. The showing of Jesus as He is. Not as we want Him to be. Not as we wish He were. Not as He is often painted. But as He really is. The God of the universe. The only God. The King, the Creator, the Sovereign, the Ruler. Um, the One uh, who was, who is, and who is to come. And we've seen for the past couple of weeks how this theme of, of the, the whole of Scripture plays itself out um, very clearly. That what happened in the fall uh, has been uh, reclaimed step by step by step through the totality of Scripture. And we've looked at various examples of that. And, and what's been really amazing for me is to see how many of you guys have begun to just read Scripture and want, okay, help me find this because I want to be able to, I want to read the Scriptures like that. I think that's so vital. Um, our goal is to not make you dependent upon your elders, but to set you free and unleash you with the Holy Spirit to open His manual and read and let the Lord do a work in you that will transform our town. Um, it's interesting what, the, what legalism promises it can't fulfill. <laughs> but what the gospel promises it does. So that as you are unleashed in that freedom to go and open His Word and, and let Holy Spirit teach you from His Word, God unleashes a movement that's astounding. And I think that's part of the explanation of Free Rivers Community Church. It doesn't make a lot of sense, you know. That uh, God takes takes a, a little body um, and He affects the world with the gospel through it. And you're part of that. And so, as we teach through Revelation, as we come through this book, it's important to remember that John is speaking to these, these little churches, these seven churches that he addresses at the beginning of the book to encourage them to hang tight. He's coming. And this kingdom of this world is coming to an end. It is becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. So hang tight, fight, stay faithful with the gospel. Don't forget Jesus, he's the king, he's the point. Stay faithful. And I say to you, don't forget, the manual is there to reveal Jesus to us so that when we get in the battle, we don't lose sight and, and we, we don't miss the forest for the trees. Don't forget, guys, if you're engaged in the fight and you're struggling for the gospel and the ministries that God has given us, don't forget the key and most vital thing is that you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Don't be distracted from the gospel. Keep the gospel front and center. And as we read the manual, that, that's what we want to be able to do. It's one of the reasons we're kind of backing up and making sure that you see in Revelation the reality that this is what Scripture has been teaching us from Genesis to Revelation. To see and savor Jesus and His gospel. 
and the ways that is some of the bigger ways we see that all the way through Scripture. Because, guys, I'm going I'm to be real frank with you. I really believe the days are coming in which we may begin to see, probably from within, more hatred for the gospel than we could imagine seeing from those on the outside. The gospel is offensive. Um, because it totally dethrones us and our sovereignty. You know? And that's not a fun pill to swallow often. We need to see Jesus. We need to savor Jesus. Enjoy Jesus. And so why does it matter that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ? Because that's the point. That's the end game. That's what's happening now. That's why doing ministry isn't easy. It's dirty. It's hard, isn't it? And if you're doing ministry, you know what I'm talking about. You know, if you got, if you have your hands to the plow of taking the gospel and engaging dark parts of our county and the world, it's a fight. It doesn't come easy. People don't, don't want to do that stuff, man. And we're fighting an enemy who hates us and hates our message. And we're fighting, yes, even those who are his agents. And so when we are in the war, it's important to remember we have a manual. Scripture written to instruct us and teach us and help us to stay faithful. So guys, keep your hands on the plow. Keep fighting. Keep trudging. Because at the darkest hours, we don't give up, but we keep fighting. And so my hope this morning is that as we sort of finish off this excursion into the Old Testament to see why it matters that you would be encouraged to stay faithful, keep your hands on the plow, keep doing ministry. Don't give up. The gospel will prevail because He's coming. He's coming. And we will be found faithful. We finished off last week taking, taking a look at some pretty cool things about the conquest of, of Canaan and how the gospel was being advanced and the name of God was being exalted and, and why justice matters, that we worship God not just because He's been kind to me but because He's also been just. And this week we're going to pick up with the temple and we're going to work our way all the way through the missionary zeal of Paul and why it matters. Okay? So um, if you have the notes, I had a few copies to hand out um, this morning. Um, it's online, uh, footnoted version, filled in version. So if you're tech savvy, you can go there. You've got the address. If not, you can go later and print them off yourself and put them up there for you every week. Um, and I'd really love for you to take these passages that I've given you. I'm not going to be able to read through all of them this morning because I have a short time. But read. Read the manual. Oh, it's rich and it's sweet and it will point you to Jesus and it will be an encouragement to you. So the temple. What, what was the temple doing? Um, you know, you got this building in the middle of a promised land. What, what was this thing? Why? Why did it matter so much? Well, basically, to sum it up, the temple became a place where God's glory was put on display for all nations to see. Um, the temple became God's way of signaling that people from every nation could encounter and worship Jesus personally. Deuteronomy 12, 1 to 14. I'm not going to take time to read that, but you'll begin to see how the Lord speaks to them and encourages them that this reality is that He was going to put on display in this land and this building His glory so that all people could come and get a glimpse of reality. Could come and get a glimpse outside of idolatry and their pragmatic creation of little deities to rescue them from what they perceive to be real need. Which, by the way... All idols are self-created means to rescue man. Out of what man perceives to be his greatest need. Most of these deities here uh, that particularly Israel wrestled with were, were agricultural, fertility-oriented creations because for them, survival was more vital than anything they could imagine. So if we don't have rain, we need a rain God. If, if the crops aren't growing right, we need a crop God. And, and if we're not having children, we need a fertility goddess. And, and so, let's make one. And, and, and we, we are much more sophisticated, so we don't create things out of stone and set them up and go, oh, and bow down. We just sort of, we sort of make our own deals 
And we give all of our time to it and we give all of our resources and energy to it. And here's the deal. The thing that takes most of your time apart from Jesus is your God. That's hard to swallow and I get that because I have a few of those. You know? But awareness of that is a good grace of the gospel to see, oh, I just don't... Jesus, I, I say with my mouth that you, you are king, but I bow to this so often. So I need help. I really do. And so for them, it was just so many things that they worshipped. And God was putting this temple there to put His glory on display so that the nations could come and see that there is glory beyond what they perceive as their need. And it was Him, it was Jesus. That's what they needed more than anything. So how does this play out? Well, the first thing is that just as a note for you there, God revealed Himself by His name. Don't forget that. That's going back two weeks ago. God revealed Himself by His name. And as a result, the second point I have down for you there is the temple was a place of encounter. A place of encounter so that they could encounter the Lord and know Him by name. You know, when you know somebody by name, it takes a relationship to a different level. Like some of us, they struggle with that, you know. You, you meet like a lot of folks and then names sort of get filed the way you hear them and they're subconsciously there but you can't draw, them, draw on them. And it's like, hey, man, what's up, dude? And, and, <laughs> but when, when, the, when it lands and there's, there's a face and a name, the relationship goes to a different place. And, and God put His glory on display that His name might be known so that men could encounter Him there. Exodus 25, 8, He says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell or that I may dwell in their midst. He was going to put himself, plop himself down, although it's very clear God does not need a temple. He put himself there to reveal himself by name so they could encounter him. The third thing of, of, that's noteworthy here is in 1 Kings eight forty one to 43, when Solomon was dedicating the temple, he made clear this was a place for all peoples of the earth to know God's name, his fame, and his glory. Listen to, listen to Solomon's prayer here this is this is astounding you think they didn't get this zeal for his fame and his name and his glory that the kingdom of this world was becoming the kingdom of our lord and of his christ you think solomon didn't get that listen to him likewise when a foreigner burner them dang furners likewise when a foreigner who is not of your people israel comes from a far country for your name's sake because they've heard of your great name. There's a little parenthesis here. for you, Kind of a commentary. For they shall hear of your great name. Listen to that. They shall hear of your great name. And of your mighty hand. And of your outstretched arm. And when he comes and prays toward this house. He comes to encounter you. Here in heaven. Your dwelling place. And do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you. Listen to his reasoning. In order that, here's your purpose, all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. <sighs> that they may know your name. When they come here because they've heard of your name and they come to encounter you, please put your glory on display so they can taste it personally. Oh. <sighs> As do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I built is called by your name. The temple was a place that the glory of God would be put on display, that the name of God, His fame would spread, His glory become evident to all peoples. Fourth thing to note here is that the nations come, particularly an example I've given here is the Queen of Sheba. First Kings nine twenty five is a really neat passage. We get talks about Solomon's worship there, but what is really neat is the following passage. I didn't put on your notes. First Kings ten one to thirteen, when the Queen of Sheba actually comes because of the fame of the Lord and His name. It's a wonderful story that she comes and and this is the kingdom of Ethiopia, modern day Ethiopia, and she comes and she's heard of the name of the Lord. And as Solomon worships this God as she came to see all of his glory. And what's crazy is, and this is what's really astounding, is that she 
regardless of what her status was, convert or not, it's hard to say. But what she does is she exports this back to Sheba. And what we see later on in, in the scriptures, in the manual, is that there is a court official of this part of the world who comes to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And he's on his way back home in his chariot and Stephen happens by. I mean, uh, Philip, the, uh, the evangelist happens by. Brain. And he hears him reading the scroll Isaiah. Isn't that awesome? And he says, dude... He doesn't say dude, but he says, this, who's he talking about here, himself or somebody else? And Philip crawls up in the chariot and preaches the gospel to him from Isaiah. The name of the Lord is exalted because he's come because of this heritage of them coming to hear the fame of the Lord. And a couple hundred years later, one of the court officials has heard of the name of the Lord. He's come to worship and God encounters him in a chariot and changes his life. And so... And so God put His temple there that the nations would come and hear of His glory. And that one kingdom at a time, the kingdom of this world would fall. So that it would become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. God is conquering kingdoms. He's been conquering kingdoms since the beginning. And they're falling one people group at a time. That's the story of the Bible. Missions is the story of the Bible. God's fame, His glory... His name put on display that all peoples would come in subjection to Him and His kingdom. The kingdom of this world is becoming the kingdom of our Lord in Christ. That's a team you want to be on. That's a team you want to be fighting on. That's a ministry that won't fail. There's no failure in that ministry. Just a little geographical tidbit for you. And this is a good answer to the question, why did God choose that strip of land there to give them? You ever wonder? You see, God is also strategic. This is, this, is, this is not in the notes. God is totally strategic, which is why it's a really good idea to try to think strategy. You know, strategy never trumps the gospel, but I think the gospel uses strategy, so it's good to look at something and go, how do we do that in a way that's most effective? Okay? It's a good question to ask. Why did God choose this little strip of land right here? I mean, because after all, Rome, Georgia is a really cool strip of land. Why not choose that one? That's a really, I like this town. We got, we're water rich. We've got three rivers. Atlanta buys water from us. All right, why not Rome? Right? Why this little strip of land, little tiny strip of land here? Well, it's crazy. This is astounding. This is just neat. There are two roads that connect all of Europe and Asia to Africa. And you want to take a guess where those two roads pass through? Jerusalem. Israel. The international coastal highway and the King's Highway pass through this little strip of land and all nations have to pass through that. God's pretty sharp. It's like all nations are going to be passing through that chunk of land. I'm going to put you right there. I'm going to put my glory there. And as they pass through, those foreigners will hear of my great name. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. Why the temple? Why that chunk of land? Because God was moving the good news from Jerusalem to the nations. And He started there. And he's still sending good news to the nations. And he started it right there. Cool piece of little geography for you. But, but there was this little problem that continued to hound them. And it hounds us today too. It's, it's a great impediment to the gospel sometimes. And it's the plunge into idolatry. It's part of the fight. Fight of our heart. Fight for the gospel to continue to conquer our hearts. You know, the reality is, I think we all know this, we believe the gospel and he gives us a new heart to love him. We still have leftover tendencies in, our, in ourselves that fight against the gospel sometimes. We, we know what that's like if you're following Jesus. And for Solomon, that was an obvious problem in 1 Kings 11, 1 to 8. When it looked like all things were going well and Israel was going to make God's name known widely among the nations, Solomon pulled a, uh-oh, and what we discover in 1 Kings 11, 1 to 8, is that Solomon's wives is 700 wives and 300 concubines. I'm like, dang, dude, you are a moron. They turned his heart away, verse 3 says. And verse 4 says, and when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart 
was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. And so what does he do? Verse 5, he went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, which is a fertility goddess, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. I love the way the Lord speaks of other gods. He's not real flattering. <laughs> he just named Milcom an abomination. Verse 6, so Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Notice it didn't say acceptable because they didn't know better. Evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then look what he did next. He built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. That's the Mount of Olives. And interesting how that's where Jesus goes on the night before his, the night of his arrest. He died to rescue us from that. On the very mountain that Solomon would set up something to worship these no-gods. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And what we start to see is that idolatry profaned, that is, it made common the name of the Lord. Oh, you're just a name among all these names. Yahweh, Chemosh, Malcolm, Milcom, not Malcolm. Just there with them, sort of on the same plane. It's all good. Jesus, money, fame. Jesus, house, car, boyfriend, girl, you know, whatever. You're just sort of there, same plane. Give you the same amount of time I give them because you're just equally valuable, you know. His name was profaned. His renown had been sacrificed for expediency to please his wives. And so began a centuries-long struggle inside of the nation against idols that are not gods. And it's interesting to watch this, this, this battle take place because this plunge into idolatry started this up-and-down process of various kings who feared the Lord and kings who didn't that always kept them in trouble. And what you see is the goodness of God to pursue them in spite of their folly which is the, the next point, is that God was persistent in always pursuing His people and renewing the promise, reinstating the covenant and promising to continue to pursue them. God never ceased to pursue His original promise and purpose. When they fooled around and went their way, He always sent a prophet. And even when He sent them into exile, He came after them. He disciplined and He came to rescue them. I don't have time to read all of Ezekiel 36, but if you go and read that chapter, it's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible because the gospel is, is one, of the, one of the places in the Old Testament that the gospel becomes so clear. It is so clearly proclaimed. And God says to them in Ezekiel 36, particularly verse 22 and 23, it's not for the sake of you, it's not for you that I'm coming to do this, but for the sake of my name that I'm coming to rescue you. Because what you've done is you've taken my name and profaned it. You've made it equal. Among these other gods. And that's not acceptable. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come and save you. To show the nations that I am far above. The profane status of the nations. Around you and their so called gods. I'm going to come and rescue you. And show you my favor. You don't deserve it. But I'm going to pay for that. And I'm going to do that for you. Because you're my, my people. You bear my name. Listen guys. Every time we drop the ball. And we all do. He doesn't come and go, huh, not mine. You bear my name. And for the sake of my great name and for your good, I will pick you up and I will rescue you. I'll clean you, clean you up. And, and I'll, I'll not only do this, I will give you my righteousness so that you will be counted as right before me. So that my name is exalted. So that I am lifted up and shown to be the great God that I am. That God pursued His people. Preach the gospel. Ezekiel uh, 36 tells us that. Isaiah 56, 6-7 is a great chapter. And again, for the sake of time, I don't have time to read it all. But listen to, listen, listen to this. Because Jesus comes and He quotes this later in Mark 11. When He's talking about why He was jacked up about what they were doing in the temple. 
Um, it's not because they were buying and selling. It's because of what they were keeping out of the temple. Really important you get that. Okay, It's not because they were buying and selling. It's because of what they were preventing from happening there. Okay, and Jesus quotes this passage. It's Isaiah 56, 67. He said, And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord, to listen to this, to minister to Him. That's a different... We'll do that. Thank you guys who sent me the question last week. Boom! We'll hit that in November. We'll talk about ministry to the Lord. That's, that's pretty important. We call that worship. And when the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, there's name again, and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath, which, okay, stay focused, stay focused, stay focused, and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called the house of prayer for all peoples. God's concern was for His house and His temple being a place for all nations, all peoples. He said, when they come and make themselves joyful before me, and they come in my name, come to honor my name, and they don't profane my deal, He said, I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. And Jesus comes along and quotes this and says, you've taken my house and you've profaned it because what is intended to be a place for all nations to come and bring me worship, you've turned it into a den of robbers. And that's there for them to come and make my name great. And so Jesus turned the tables over. He wasn't a little sweet dude. He comes and he turns the tables over and he screams at them and chases them out with whips. Beast. No, never mind. Stop. He's not really beast, Jesus, because you know, Revelation, there's a whole beast thing, and that's kind of funny, but anyway, never mind. Jesus is amazing. God of the universe. He's not going to put up with it. He pursues His people. He says, you're my people. And this place is for all nations to come and worship. And so what does He do? He comes and He purchases them through His grace and His might and His goodness. And he brings them back so that they'll worship Him. He's always pursuing His people. But, what's awesome about this story is that, that it doesn't end in Malachi. The story doesn't end at the, the canon of the Old Testament being cut off. Because there's one more radical and awesome step that must be taken. And that is that the glory of God would finally and ultimately be put on display in flesh. That God Himself would come and take up dwelling among man so that He could put on display the full splendor of His majesty. Put on display for the world to see. The writer of Hebrews tells us that that's exactly what happens in Jesus. That Jesus comes and He puts on display the full majesty of God. That His name would be made great. That His glory would be seen. And it would be Jesus that would make that known. And would thus set in motion the final piece of God's plan. To take the kingdom of this world and make it become the kingdom of Jesus. The glory of God in Jesus Christ. I'm just going to take time to read uh, John 17. 1 through 26. And, and if you have a Bible, just turn there and, and, and read along with me. Perhaps one of, one of the most power-packed little space containment of dynamite in the Scriptures. The glory of God in Jesus Christ. The glory of God in Jesus Christ. And there's so much here. You don't even have time to hit it all, but we're just going to... The glory of God in Jesus Christ. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Interesting here, too, grammatically, the hour has come. It's a perfect tense verb. Past action completed in the past. Results carry on indefinitely to the future. The hour for which Jesus would appoint it, the hour appointed way back in eternity past. Jesus was born to die. Let me, let me, let me say that differently. Jesus, who always has been the pre-existent, eternal Son of God, took on flesh that He might die. Death 
was not like plan B. It was, always has been, plan A. The hour has come. That hour that you and I, Father, set in motion in eternity past. It's here. Listen to what Jesus says about this hour. Save people. Is that what he says? That's coming. But how does he start? Glory. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. This hour has been appointed that you and I would be put on display and that the glory that is due us would be seen. Glory. The cross displays the glory of God. The name of God is rescued from profanity at the cross. That's why we sing... Oh, the wonderful cross, this wonderful tool of execution that shows the justice, holiness, mercy, grace, kindness, all these things of Jesus are put on display right there. This hour has come. Glorify your name. Glorify the Son. The Son glorifies you. Since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. That's a great election passage, but we'll do that later. That also is a perfect tense verb. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on earth. I made your name great. Having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus just messes the world's religions. Up. That's why he's not tolerated in the spectrum of discussion. Because of what he said. I said it before, I'm going to say it again. This is why the attack against Christianity always centers on Scripture. Because there's no arguing what Jesus meant. So what you have to do is try to undercut the authority of the document that contains what he said. Just keep that tucked away. Okay? Because it's clear what he meant right there. You, you tracking with that? There's no denying what Jesus meant right there. That's why C.S. Lewis said he's either Lord, Master, God, creator of the universe, he's a liar, or he's lunatic. There's no debating what Jesus meant, okay? So I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. <laughs> I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Church, you make His name great by being His people. Jesus is glorified in the church. Which is why there's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. Cut off from the body. It's not Christianity. Jesus is glorified in us. Together. A body brought together. Diversity and unity. I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord in Christ. That's not there. I just That's... that's Thinking that I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. You can't come out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I'm not of the world. 
sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Which I would, I'm going to insert my Lord, to conquer. The great commission is the conquering of the gospel over the kingdom of the evil one. Which is why it's not easy. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I did not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus prayed for you if you believe the gospel. That's pretty sweet, by the way. Just That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. You care, Guys, listen, you carry the glory of God in the gospel. You are a bearer of the glory of God because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And when you carry the Holy Spirit and His gospel word, you're bearing the weight, the glory in the name of Jesus Christ. It's a sacred task. It's a glorious task. It's an exalted task. And guess what? All of you are in. If you believe the gospel. Isn't that cool? You matter. The work you do matters. It's, it's, not just, it's not just a check mark on a board that they believe that I'm finished now. But you're, you're carrying the glory, the name and reputation of Jesus. You matter. Your work matters. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am. Listen to this. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus says, Father, finish the work with them so they can see my glory. I want them to see me as I am. Why? Because there's no greater purpose. That is why you were made that your eyes would behold glory and that the joys of your heart would follow suit and the desires of your heart would spill over and yes that's what i was made for to make much of you their life is fulfilled there's the period of all living that is the end game that is why you were made that the kingdom of this world become the kingdom of our lord and his christ and you would take joy If we were charismatic, somebody would be playing the organ right there. And everybody would be like, ah, I'm going nuts. But we're not charismatic. But sometimes that's why I wish I were. Because that just makes me want to do backflips. But I'm not athletic enough. And so I just stand quietly. That's what we were made, y'all. That's why we were made. Anything that challenges the reason for which you were made, apart from making much of Jesus and exalting His name, falls way short and its end is death. You were not made to be a good person. You were not made to fulfill your great longings in life. You were made to make much of Jesus and to see His glory. Which the fall robbed us of. Remember I said two weeks ago, if you missed the fall, you missed the whole storyline of the Bible. Can't miss the fall. That's what God's recapturing. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Made your name known so that they can taste the love that you have for me. They get to taste it. They get to taste that kind of love. Oh, church is a precious entity. The glory of God in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you caught it in, in, in that very short 26 verses, but there's an awful lot of glory and name talk centering on Jesus and His church. Jesus bears the very glory of God. And you wonder what Jesus' mission was, if that wasn't clear enough to make the Father look good. When He taught us how to pray, you notice how He prayed? He didn't start with, feed us today, take care of us today, protect us today, did He? Pray like this. Couldn't get any clear. In the manual. Matthew 6, 9-15, the manual. He's teaching us what to do. He says, pray like this. You need to know how to pray. Here's how you go. Ready? Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Make your name great. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth 
just like in heaven. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord in Christ, and Jesus taught us to start praying for that. Pray, Father, make your name great, and make your kingdom come and replace that kingdom that's dying. Do you start your prayers that way? Do you start the way the manual said to start? I don't. I run to my idols first. Father, satisfy my idols because they're big and it makes me feel better. I don't start there. I'm just confessing my own heart to you. Maybe some of you are more spiritual and I say amen. I hope so. But I'm still being sanctified and i got a long way to go. A long way to go. But we start there because what is on tap for the future is that the glory of God would be made manifest among all nations and that this kingdom of this world would go away and become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. He'd be made much of. And that's how we should start all of our praying. Father, make Your name great. What's at stake today? Do you base your requests for yourself on that reality? Father, I bear Your name. And if You somehow let me go, Your name takes a hit. So, Father, for the sake of your great name, would you sustain me today by your power? I don't know how you're going to do that. You haven't given me a clear, but would would you please? Because that's what's at stake. I bear your name. If you let me go, you look bad. So would you please make your name great today and preserve me according to your steadfast love? That's a good way to start your prayer for yourself, for me, for all of us. Because what's at stake is the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus prayed for God's name to be glorified. And the fact that he was to be worshipped by all peoples. Well, just in case, we're at the end. Just in case you think Jesus was a little mistaken. And maybe he was misunderstood. Maybe they were missing it just a little bit. Okay? Um, Jesus wasn't that crazy about all that. He's, you know, I think Jesus has been misunderstood a little bit. People have taken him a little too far. You know, after all, he's sort of, he's a, you know, he's a rabbi and he loves everybody, totally the same, and even other, he's just tolerant, Jesus, you know. I think the church is just a little, a little crazy, a little radical. I want you to see the church's passion for God's global glory, lest you think Jesus was misunderstood. Lest you think the storyline of the Bible has somehow been missed. Paul's passion for God's global glory. Paul was motivated by the hope that God would be glorified among the nations. And we haven't even touched the Great Commission. There's just so much more. This is just a brief sketch. Okay? Romans 15, 14 to 24 is one of my, one of my absolute favorite justifications for church planting. And the necessity of it globally. It's in the manual. Listen, I want you to listen to Paul's zeal, okay? I want you to listen to his passion for the global glory of Jesus. That the kingdom of this world will be conquered and become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. I want you to hear Paul's zeal. I'm just going to read Romans 15, 14 to 24. And make a couple of observations when we'll be done. And then next week we'll move on into Revelation 12. Now, Paul has written to the church at Rome. First 11 chapters are an unpacking of the doctrine of justification. He begins to transition through chapter 11 into chapter 12. Into this doxology, he breaks into praise. And he starts chapter 12 with this statement, Therefore, in other words, in in light of all this, I urge you, brothers, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your worship, and then for the rest of the book of Romans, he impacts what corporate worship looks like. That's just another study for another time. Okay? <laughs> and I need to tell you that because he ends the book here describing what corporate worship looks like in the missions enterprise. Which means to do the advance of the gospel is part of our worship. Which means if we're not doing the global advance of the glory of God among all nations, we're not fully worshiping. We're pulling up short. That doesn't bode well for the glory of God because He's not a tribal deity. He's the global reality. Okay? You you tracking with me here? Listen, Listen to this. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, 
filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. <laughs> I just think this is, this is, anyway. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly. True, if you've read Romans, like, dang. By way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's, gosh, I want rabbit trail. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ... Notice how Paul uses Jesus, Christ, and God interchangeably. Just... I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, geographically from Jerusalem all the way around to modern day Turkey, a long way. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. You can unpack that. I don't have time to do all that, but just I've fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem to Turkey. What do you mean by that? Had every single person believed the gospel? Obviously not. What do you mean by that? He's fulfilled the gospel. There's an answer to the question. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. Lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written. So he goes back to the manual. Those who've never been told will see. And those who've never heard will understand. Heard of what? The glory of God in Christ. So this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions. What, Paul, you don't, what do you mean you don't have any room for work? There are millions who've never heard. And you say you fulfilled the gospel from Jerusalem to Turkey. What are you? A maniac? No. <laughs> and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I've enjoyed your company for a while. What's he saying? Here's what he's saying. From Jerusalem to Turkey, the gospel work's been fulfilled. What he means by that is that there are churches representing the glory of God in Christ all the way from Jerusalem to there. I planted most of them. And there's no more work for me here, so I need to go to Spain where it's never been named. Wow. In other words, once there is an epicenter of the gospel, the glory of God named among a people. The work there's done. Move on. So that those there in that church will begin to spread out with the tentacles of the gospel among the people they represent. But my work's done. Time to go. There is a global zeal for the glory of God in Paul's ministry such that he can't bear to work where the gospel's already been named. The glory of God is too valuable. Jesus' name is too Beautiful and amazing. He's got to move where it's never been named. Why are we so happy not taking the gospel where it's never been heard? Maybe it's because we don't love the name well enough. Glory may not be our goal. Survival is. Building a tower that reaches up to heaven and making a name for ourselves. That's not us. Not us, but that's the culture in which we live. Paul's passion for the global glory of God was evident. Why? Because that's the storyline of the Bible. What's happening is the kingdom of this world is going to become the kingdom of our Lord in Christ. And church, the reason John took that second pause was to encourage them to stay faithful because the battle's being won. Keep engaging. Don't stop. And I say to you three rivers, that's the point. We've given you enough tools to read the manual and read it well. Read the manual. Engage in the fight. Because we 
can't lose. Even if we die, we win. Because the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And behold, He comes quickly. That's our hope, guys. Anything else falls short. And I say to you, I say to you, I believe that's the reason God has used Three Rivers Community Church mightily. Mightily. Met with a guy this week. Had a little time to meet with someone who asked for a meeting up from Atlanta. And I'll save the long story of it, but I just want you to know you are named among churches about eight times your size because of what you try to do and what you do because you love the gospel and the glory of God in Jesus. That fuels work like you can't even begin to imagine. So don't stop. Stay faithful. Keep plowing. Even when it's dry. Even when it's hard. Keep working. God is being glorified. And you are a bearer of that glory. So be encouraged. Father, we're your people. We're called by your name. And what's at stake for us is, is your glory. And I think we get that. I think that's the story of your word. So I just want to ask that you would um, not let us grow weary in doing good. Don't let me grow weary in doing good because I'm tired. I'm tired. I think all of us at times just get tired. But Father, I ask that you would help me to not grow weary in doing good. But to know that there will be Great reward in the coming kingdom. In due season, there will be a harvest of righteousness and of ministry and good work because of the gospel. So Father, I ask for Three Rivers Community Church and all churches that love the gospel. And there are many, there are many, and I thank you for those brothers and sisters. I pray that you'll help us to just persevere and stay faithful. Father, I have no doubt that even today there will be many things that will challenge us, our faithfulness, our desire. Um, and I pray, Father, that, that you would just overcome that because we need you to. Pray you'd encourage our hearts to stay faithful for the day is coming when the kingdom of this world will finally be conquered and will become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. Pray you'd give us all a grand desire to engage you in that work, to join you in that work. Pray, Father, that you would come against the work of the evil one to tempt successfully us to be distracted from that work. Pray you'd fix our gaze on Jesus and he would become our reason, our motivation. For all the ministry leaders, the folks pouring their lives out for the advance of the gospel in Floyd County and among our UPG, I pray, Father, that you would build strength and perseverance and encouragement. And for us worker bees and hands, pray that you would help us to be faithful as well. We need you, Jesus. We need to see you high and lifted up. Train your robe filling the temple. And cry out with the hosts of heaven, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. May that be the cry of our lives. For the glory of Jesus among all peoples.